Welcome everyone. So I've got a lot of questions about Tesla and I'm sure you do as well. So the good news is we have James Stevenson with us this morning, this almost bright sunny morning, and we're going to ask him a lot of questions. Is the stock price of Tesla underpriced? Is there some sort of trend line that we can look at to see and compare whether or not it's underpriced or overpriced today? He just recently released his detailed forecasts on gross margin, cash, revenue, vehicle productions. We also want to look at this unique pattern that we sometimes see with the Tesla stock. We see that it has reaches its all-time high in the second half of the year. I would love to get his opinion if he thinks that that is true or something that is just a made-up pattern that we're looking at. So welcome, James. Appreciate you being able to join us this morning. Hey, good morning, Herbert. Thank you for having me on your channel. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, I think uh, I always ask people if they're ready to get brighter, but I think today they're not only going to get a little brighter, they're going to get a lot brighter. <laughs> uh, you're too kind. Yep. Well, uh, it's not just me. So one of the very cool things about you, James, is that uh, when Elon Musk was asked who is his favorite retail Tesla analyst, he named you. <laughs> well, that's uh, you're 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 kind to phrase it that way. I was trying to make a joke in my tweet. It's it's my pinned tweet. If you go check out my uh, uh, Twitter account at I cannot underscore enough. Um, I, he he was uh, telling people what his son Saxon's middle name was and said right. James. So I retweeted that, uh, asking the question, "Hey Elon, who's your favorite retail analyst?" But then he did reply. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. And I had and a then the, mug made of it. Oh, uh, <laughs> I would do the exact same thing. He, he replied to me, you're pretty great. So you're pretty great. That was more than yeah. I could have expected from my dumb little joke. Yeah. Um, I would make a mug. I would make a t-shirt. That's hilarious. And I would pin it like you are. My, but it is it is my Elon cool t-shirt on here. Yeah. Not only did he reply to you and say that you're, you know, I agreed that you're one of his favorite, but you are having regular conversations with him. Just two days ago, you made a comment about some sort of automated side mirror, and he started to go back and forth in a Twitter conversation with you. I thought that was absolutely pretty cool. It wasn't just a quick <laughs> comment. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, I have been extremely fortunate over the years to have received a bunch of replies from Elon for no good reason that I can tell. Um, I've never met him before. Uh, he just interacts with strangers on Twitter a lot. And, well, uh, I think, yeah, what's unique about yeah. you, of course, is that you're not just making comments. You are one of the few that have very, very detailed uh, reports, analysis, estimates, forecasts. You really, really do a good job of doing that. So if everyone, Thank if you. you haven't already following, you need to follow James Stevenson. And he has a unique Twitter name. I... <laughs> underscore or I cannot underscore enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the story behind that handle is that I heard somebody use the expression on an NPR interview on my drive into work one morning. I was like, I bet somebody has that on Twitter because you're only allowed to use letters and underscores. So I wanted to go check out what cool person has already taken <laughs> at I cannot underscore enough. And it was available and I couldn't believe my luck. Yeah, so I, I said, well, I'm it either. 
<laughs> what cool person would think that that's so cool? Yeah, okay. I said, I, I'm going to be that cool person. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot underscore enough. I mean, it's, yeah. it's too witty. It's too uh, meta, well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 maybe too hard to figure out. Uh, a lot of people who've been following me for years will reply, I can't believe I only just figured out that I cannot yeah. underscore enough is a pun. Yeah, it takes yeah. a while. Okay, well, yeah. let's get right, deep right into the detailed uh, analysis and Let's start with the Stevenson indicator. Uh, you let's put it up here. Oh, all right. Let's do that. And I know you've you've positioned this before that it's a bit of a fun. It's not something to pe people necessarily have to take uh, seriously. It's just one more metric, and but it's a cool thing that you discovered, and people can kind of take it for what it is. And so right. I'll, let me, I'll just give you from a layman's perspective what I understand it to be, and then you can correct me and go deeper into this. But okay. I love this stuff. I love it because we are, many of us are very uh, heavily invested in Tesla. We think of it as a significant company. We think that it has significant growth. And so we're watching the stock price. And we notice that the stock price doesn't always connect with the fundamentals. We get that. But we know that if a company continues to just be an earnings machine and just grow 50% per year, like Tesla is has been doing and is and is going to be about to do continuously, you know, that the stock price should follow. So what I think you've done here was you looked at uh, the previous years and you noticed that the, the stock, while it goes up and down, you notice that there's this general trend line of where it it kind of uh, follows along quite nicely. And so what you've shown here is that trend line over time. And then these bar graphs are at the, at the top of it would be the stock price as the dates go along. And so what I see here is that in the last several years, the stock price is overpriced over what it could, it should be based on that trend line. And then recently it's underpriced. Can you, is, I'm probably not doing a good job of explaining sure. this, go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, it, it's hard to explain. It's so hard to explain that I actually made on my YouTube channel, James Stevenson, right. uh, which I named after myself, uh, egotistically. Um, <laughs> I well, made you didn't actually do that. Videos. You didn't do that. It was our friend uh, Mayer that did that. And then you saw that. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. So at Fresh Jiva on Twitter, Mayor Thaker, uh, said you should trademark it Stevenson indicator TM, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, just the first time that I pointed out, hey, there is this technical analysis support line, which is just a dumb linear uh, function, right? It's just um, the lowest price at which Tesla has closed since 2019. So that happened on March 18th of 2020. It was okay. $72.24 split adjusted. So actually in August, August 31st of 2020, Tesla split five for one. So it was more like $361 and change at the time. Uh, on that uh, on that date at that time. But you have to uh, adjust it for the split after it happens. So mm -hmm. uh, in today's prices, it was $72.24. And I have to say that really fast because Tesla is about to split again three for one next week, uh, which I have already reflected in my forecast model, but I'll keep going before I get lost. So if you take that date's uh, closing price, 72.24, and you add $1.69 to the stock per trading day since, you get the line that you see first when you look at this chart. 
that diagonal line. And the coolest part about this chart is that diagonal line does not exist. <laughs> there is no diagonal line drawn on this right. chart. All of the I lines on this chart are either horizontal or vertical. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so all those vertical white lines are showing you the distance between that mm -hmm. day's actual closing stock price and Stevenson indicator, uh, which is just that that line function that I described. So for every day, how far above or how far below Stevenson indicator did Tesla's stock close is all this is showing you. So during that epic uh, bull market that lasted 2020 and all of 2021, for most of the time, this support line um, or, or th this, this function acted as support for Tesla stock, uh, if you look back at it. And then this year, 2022, when we've had a pretty big bear market the whole year, Tesla has mostly traded below Stevenson Indicator and has started trending back up towards it recently. So one of the questions I get about this is, is this a joke? Yes, it's hmm. a joke. Stevenson indicator, like all technical analysis, should exactly. not be trusted for anything. It's right. only showing you what has happened. It is no guarantee of future results. And this is not trading advice. And we're not providing uh, financial advice to anyone. It, this is for entertainment purposes only, everybody. Yeah. It's one additional metric, right? And it, so does that $1.69 number, is that somehow correlated with the earnings and the growth earnings that this particular company is uh, showing for the last several years? Yeah, so where did it come from? It just came from looking at the trend, eyeballing it and seeing, hey, where has support been? What number would you need to plug in there to get to support? Yeah. And it was close enough to $1.69 that for uh, meme purposes, I rounded it to $1.69. Nice. To be funny, <laughs> the same way Elon does a lot. Thank you for the nice. Um, <laughs> But in my uh, series of videos on students and indicator, by the time I get to part three, I explain what fundamentally about Tesla explains this mm -hmm. increase in stock price over time. And what that is, is earnings growth. The market is yeah. forward looking. And when Tesla's earnings grow and when yeah. estimates from the analysts go higher for what future earnings will be, the stock price goes higher uh, with those higher price targets. Uh, so really, it is Tesla's fundamental earnings growth driving price appreciation over time, yeah. which explains why we see uh, a function like this. Okay, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that's why I assumed it was. And I get the fact that this is not to be taken seriously. I get that because we're making up numbers. Okay, you, you imaginary yeah. line kind of thing. But... It is important to actually visualize somehow this notion, the notion that we know that Tesla is spitting out earnings and we know that they're growing significantly per quarter. And yet the stock price is frustratingly not following with that growth. And that's understood. We understand that stock price and fundamentals are, you know, they're not necessarily uh, connected, but they are connected in the long term. So if you look at it from years perspective, we all say this, right? Okay, look at it two years, three years from now. It, it, I, I tell my family and my friends that I get that the stock can skyrocket and can fall. It's very volatile. It's a beta stock, but it, it they cannot, they can it cannot be ignored. 
that three years from now, based on the cash flow and the earnings that this company is going to do, that they're going to, you know, the stock price can't follow. And this is kind of a visualization of that, right? That this is the showing that the, if you keep growing and you keep increasing your earnings, the stock price, it needs to keep going up. <laughs> yeah, either it'll go up or uh, it'll be good news for people who have money they want to invest in Tesla stock because they'll be able to buy more shares for their money. Uh, eventually, the price has to catch up or else the PE will get too right. cheap for a company yeah. that's growing earnings that quickly. Uh, keep you doubling each year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, a guy named Peter Lynch, who was very good at investing, <laughs> yeah. said that the PE um, can be high and that still be a good deal if the earnings growth rate is also high and if the risk nice. of achieving those earnings is low. Yeah. then uh, you, you ought to be okay paying a higher P.E. for a stock that has much higher growth um, mm. and, you know, uh, future earnings potential than other stocks. Yeah. And so th what this graph is showing is that for many years, the price, stock price of Tesla is actually overpriced, uh, rightly so, because of future perspective, uh, you know, looking at the future growth. But even recently, it's way underpriced. And so not, not financial advice, but this chart is showing that, you know, when it gets back up to people start looking in the future again, forecasting the future and pricing the stock a little bit more closely to that, um, it should reverse back up. So Yeah, my, my expectation for the future is that in 10 years, people will look back at these prices for Tesla with a market cap under $1 trillion and say, wow, what a great buying opportunity it was back then. Wow. Okay. This means a lot when you say it, because I know that you're not like the others like, who, like me who are armchair folks who uh, say these kind of statements. You actually have very, very detailed forecast. And so... Let's get to that. I'm very, very fortunate. I know that you have a Patreon account and only those members are able to see and release, uh, look at your most recent information and data, which is very valuable. You just released it yesterday, just because I scheduled today <laughs> this meeting with you. Yeah, I get to true. peek at it early. Thank you for yep. that. Let's, but sure. let's uh, let's get to the vehicle production. Um, and do you, do you have a uh, forecast for that yeah. in the next several quarters? and? I've got a few different ones. Let's see here. So uh, this is deliveries and not production. Let me make this bigger. Yes. And when, when I do that, is that showing you my presenter view or is that showing you the display? I, so, I, yeah, is that better or is this better? That's better. That's much okay. better. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, do that. So, uh, yeah, what I do is a very detailed forecast. Uh, some would say an unnecessarily detailed <laughs> forecast. A lot of people would. So I, I'm, I'm one of the very few people who does a forecast this detailed. I'm not aware of anybody who does a more granular forecast for Tesla than I do. Now, that doesn't make mine more accurate than everybody else's. But I feel better having a very detailed forecast because it gives me confidence that I'm not going to forget about something uh, that I knew was uh, a, a business dynamic in play that would impact the income statement, but I just forgot about it or didn't include it in some, uh, some bottom line number. I used to do a really high level forecast and my variances were larger than I wanted. 
Yeah. So I threw it out completely and I started with a ground up build of, hey, if I were going to be doing this at my job, you know, I've been a financial analyst for uh, <laughs> 20 years <coughs> uh, and uh, working for Fortune 500 companies. I have an MBA and a business degree. Uh, so I'm, I'm very comfortable working in Excel and I just imagined, Hey, if it were my job to plan mm -hmm. Tesla's income statement, how would I do it at work? Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's what my detailed forecast model does. Uh, what this chart shows is just the breakdown by model, uh, for each of the vehicles Tesla produces. And you can see 2022 right about the center of the screen. This big dip is the quarter that we just had. And you can see visually on the screen why we had that dip. Mm -hmm. Which of these areas mm -hmm. got pinched? Mm -hmm. It was the mm -hmm. yellow one and the red one, right? So mm -hmm. the Shanghai Model Y and the Shanghai Model 3 are the vehicles that dropped in production or in deliveries in Q2 of 2022. And it's because of the Shanghai lockdowns that happened mm -hmm. uh, in April and May. So w every analyst should have seen this coming before the Q2 earnings were released and updated their models accordingly. That's one of those force majeure events that Elon talks about sometimes. Unexpected, idiosyncratic stuff that you cannot prepare for or plan for that just happens in real life. Uh, so that was one of them that negatively impacted Tesla's deliveries in Q2 of 2022. But you can see that going forward as Tesla ramps, Berlin and Texas there's going to be a lot more Model Y in the short term, and then over the long term, a lot more of everything. Can, a couple of questions. Um, sure. I, I, you know me, I'm a little distracted here because I'm looking at your Cybertruck and Semi, and they look a little small. <laughs> Compared, yeah, they do. Maybe I'm wrong. So uh, Cybertruck uh, doesn't start until middle of next year, is yes. what Elon said. Uh, so expect those to start with a small ramp and get bigger over time. I mean, th 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 when, when we say they look small, talk about um, expectations and, okay. and comparisons. Well, what are we comparing against? We're comparing against Fremont, which is here. You know, this is half a million vehicles per year. This is the, the number one volume production uh, factory in North America, the Fremont factory. Yeah. And that's just from here down, right? Out in 2025, this is what I'm yeah. projecting Fremont is going to do. So this doesn't look like a very big area, but it's just in comparison to how much uh, Shanghai is going to be producing between all the vehicles uh, that they can produce at their current facility and at a new one that uh, they're, they're building. Um, so th yeah, that I think, one looks I think a lot bigger. Yeah, the reason is because it's only till 2025. Not that it's only, but it's like very, very. Uh, the forecast is very clear to next year and the next year and the next year, and that's why you know what the reason I say that it looks like it's a small number because I'm expecting Cybertruck to be a, a million and Semi to be a million at some point. But you're much yeah. more accurately saying it will, but it'll take several so many years. What I have is my expectation for Cybertruck here is about 100,000 per quarter yeah. by the end of Q4 2025. Okay. That's fair. So that would make fair. it, you know, half a million okay. vehicles per year. That's not okay. a slouch. Um, that is, that, gotcha. that, that that's going to be one of the world's best-selling vehicles um, at, at that point in time. It just looks small against every other model Tesla will be producing around the world. Hey, okay, 
it's per quarter and it's only of two, three years out. And that there you go. That explained everything. And a semi, yeah. it looks like a tiny little light. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah. probably I'm hoping maybe twenty thousand for next year. What's your what's the actual numbers? Well, for for a vehicle like Model Y, that's uh, a midsize, you know, crossover SUV. That's the most popular kind of passenger vehicle in the world. Mm-hmm. So you can sell mm-hmm. millions of those per year. Uh, Model 3 as a luxury sports sedan, you can sell a million of those per year. Semis um, are not the same kind of vehicle. <laughs> and they look yeah. small by comparison when you put them on a chart like this. But there just aren't as many of them to begin with. There aren't as many semis purchased per year. Now, Tesla can beat this forecast. Uh, I know you're looking at it saying, they better beat that. That looks really small. (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, I think they're called Class 7 tractors uh, that Mm -hmm. that pull uh, heavy heavy trailer loads, at least in the U.S. Um, There aren't just, there's not a market to sell a half a million of those per year because there aren't Mm -hmm. that many being purchased. There's a fleet that already exists. And, you know, those vehicles last for 10 years or however long they last, their, their lifespan is. So you're only replacing, you know, a tenth of that fleet per year. Uh, it's not a giant market, but it is uh, a big profit uh, opportunity for Tesla because of the operating cost savings that those semi-buyers will experience yeah. with much lower fuel costs. And if Tesla nails FSD, a lot of labor savings, those are your chief uh, two costs related to the shipping and trucking business are labor and fuel. If you can uh, greatly reduce both of those uh, of your, your two biggest costs, that's great for your P&L. So the payback period on a Tesla Semi should be short. Yeah. 200000 per three years savings is what they said, just on the fuel yeah so so how, how much do you charge for that i think tesla's going yeah. to raise the price of the semi which <laughs> we, we saw changes to the website recently so i don't yeah. think they want to let anybody else reserve semis at the launch day pricing nice okay let's move on what's your next uh which one do you want to do next earnings gross margin my favorite cash <laughs> uh Let's see. I've got a whole bunch of charts here. I'll flip through uh, quickly. So, so here's an on-gap earnings per delivery. Okay. We can talk about this one. Um, Why do you do it by per delivery? Well, uh, so it, if it's just a number, if it's just a dollar amount, that's okay. And that's how Tesla reports it. And you can go look mm-hmm. at the number getting bigger over time. Mm-hmm. But um What's also important is to realize that Tesla is getting operating leverage with scale. So the more vehicles you produce, the more Mm -hmm. revenue you make. Uh, Even if your gross Mm -hmm. margin doesn't improve, your earnings per delivery will increase because you're flexing against your fixed cost base. So your headquarters doesn't have to hire twice as many people to work there if you produce twice as many cars globally as you okay. used to, right? Can you pause? Sure. I'm a layman. I've got an MBA too. I'm very <laughs> good at finance, but I just need to pause because you said a lot of things there just for a second. Uh, so I had always, I guess, naturally uh, assume that earnings can grow if you cut the expenses and become much more efficient. 
What you're sure. saying is that even if the capital expenditure has already happened and stuck, if the revenue keeps going up, they can produce that car. Uh, yeah, so these earnings per uh, vehicle, yeah. the, the primary reason that they're able to grow to these uh, much higher volumes over here, so much higher dollar amounts per vehicle, is because mm -hmm. of software. It's because of FSD, and it's because of being able to okay. charge more for it as the uh, feature set improves and as uh, driverless becomes a reality. So I'm expecting that to happen you know, toward the end of next year and for the price to increase steadily between now and then. That's where most of this earnings growth is coming from. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that, that I get. Okay. Yeah, but but the principle holds that uh, you, your company, when, when you start off, is going to lose money. Right. <laughs> if you're trying to right. be, get into the auto manufacturing business, uh, yeah. until you are able to ramp your volume level to at least be able to produce as much gross margin as you have um, uh, operating expenses, you can't mm -hmm. produce a profit. You've got to get to that break-even volume. And then once you get to it, if you continue to accelerate production growth and deliveries growth beyond that point, mm -hmm. you're going to continue getting more earnings per delivery as your uh, worldwide wow. sales grow. I love it. Yeah, you know what would be really interesting is, and you might have already done this, is do it by factory, and you show me when does Giga Texas in Berlin, at what delivery number do they then become earnings and profitable and, you know. Oh, I've got it. Uh, oh, oh, gosh, so, I've been waiting for this. Because it's interesting yeah. uh, for Elon to say that these are cash-burning factories today. They're losing millions a day. And then I then naturally ask, how many cars do they need to produce per week before you would consider them at least break even and then, you know, skyrocketing up? Sure. Oh yeah. So uh, uh, what I have here is a whole lot of numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th these are gross margin uh, percentages. So I've got them for every product that Tesla makes for each model, for each site. <laughs> Um, okay. For for the energy products, for each one of those, and for the services and other uh, line, uh, and I've got the regulatory credits on here as well. So, does Tesla provide this level of detail? No, they don't. I never get to find out how accurate my forecast was in detail. Mm -hmm. But as time goes by, I try to play detective, uh, put my Sherlock Holmes hat on, and try to figure out okay. There was a miss this quarter. How did Tesla explain that miss? Mm. And where do I adjust what I had forecast to get it to what my forecast should have been to produce the correct numbers? So I'm doing that process every time Tesla reports quarterly earnings. I'm going back and fine-tuning my model. Mm. Um, so what you see here on rows 1530 through uh, uh, 1564 of my detailed forecast tab are just the output of how much gross margin you're making per vehicle. So here we see in 2021, there was a negative gross margin on Fremont Model Xs because they weren't at break even. Wow. They were producing so few and delivering yes. so few Model Xs, they couldn't produce a profit on that vehicle. 
at sales volume that low, right? So this is what was in my forecast. Do I know that each of these numbers is deadly accurate? No, right. I don't. But that's what was in my, uh, my detailed build. And I'll scroll to the top to show you what I mean when I say that. So uh, I've done videos before where I walk people through this detailed model. But for every site, I go through each of the models that are built at that site, and I figure out what the weekly production capacity is for that vehicle, how many weeks they were producing vehicles, and how productive they were uh, on average over those weeks in that quarter. And that gives me uh, production. Then from there, I have to figure out how to reconcile the ending and beginning inventories uh, to get to the vehicle deliveries, how many could they have delivered during that quarter. Love it. And I've also got the uh, the least vehicles count here because you need that to be able to build up to the income statement. Uh, wow. Tesla does report that, but they don't report it at this level of detail. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so you do that for every single vehicle. So there's the five that uh, Fremont will produce. Uh, at Shanghai, I've got Model 3, Model Y, and a future vehicle that I'm calling a Shanghai Robo-Taxi here. Yeah. Let's, at, let's uh, get to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so for, for Berlin, they're producing Y now. They are rumored to produce Model 3 in the future, and maybe they will have another vehicle. I've got a placeholder here for a European uh, model. Oh, okay. Uh, at Giga Texas, they're producing Model Y now. They will produce Cybertruck and Semi, which may start uh, production in Nevada and then move to Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, but they have a really big factory already that could accommodate semi-production if they wanted. So that's how you get to the total production and deliveries. Uh, I've got that by site here, so totaled up for uh, each site. And then below that, once you've got all that squared away, then you have to figure out, okay, how much revenue is there per vehicle? I've got that broken down by option type, uh, by vehicle, by site. So for all of the decisions that face buyers of Tesla's on the website, when you go to, to the vehicle design studio, um, God, to figure out what Tesla you want, um, what are the options uh, people are picking, what's the take yeah. rate on each option, and what was the price in that quarter for that option. So I'm building up from there using assumptions about take rates and prices to get to total cash buyer ASP and then to make the adjustments that get you to total revenue uh, per vehicle. So after those, you need to figure out what your cost of sales is. Uh, and then there's also the energy segment that you need to forecast revenue for. Uh, so you've got, you know, factors like uh, solar deployed, storage deployed, revenue per watt, stuff like that. And then the number of units that you want to sell for each of these. And you get to the cost of sales, which I'm also doing the same way I do the revenue. So it's how much does each of these options cost Tesla to produce by option type, by vehicle, model, by site. Um, and then once you have those, you can build the top of the income statement. <laughs> so that's here. All of that work is to get wow. down to that line of the income statement. <laughs> wow. Yep. I, I, I do 1160 rows worth of detailed calculations to figure out what these uh, 15 rows are going to be. <laughs> Yeah, this is detailed. This is very detailed. I doubt even, like you said, that they might not even have this um, all in one, you know. I, I doubt Tesla has something just like this. Um, right. Maybe I'm wrong and they do, but um, 
Yeah, and then you have to forecast other stuff. So uh, below the line costs, research and development, SGNA, restructuring, uh, which you don't get every quarter, but we did get in Q2 uh, with that Bitcoin impairment and restructuring and layoffs. Uh, and I've got a bunch of other uh, stuff below the income statement, uh, which is all right. So fun. when does Texas? When do you forecast Texas to get into break even? And how many right. deliveries must that happen? So why did I start with gross margin percentage? It was because you can see uh, for total Texas, if you run across here. Uh, losing money there in Q2 of 2022, making a tiny amount of money there in Q3, right? So that's 3%. Uh, then in Q4, they'll be at like a 12% gross margin uh, for the factory, even though Semi is going to come in losing money hand over fist. <laughs> so I'm uh, forecasting a negative 446% uh, uh, <clears throat> gross margin for the Semi that then becomes a smaller loss and a smaller loss and a smaller loss. And then by the end of 2023, we'll be barely profitable. And then from there, it'll make more money as time goes by. That's for right? semi. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's what's going on there. So will, will Giga Austin get very profitable? Yes, it will over time as the price of FSD goes up. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it going to come roaring out of the gate with giant profitability? I don't expect it to in my forecast. Okay. And then you've got deliveries. You feel like your delivery estimates by week are... Well, uh, you asked an interesting question, which was uh, how accurate have your forecasts been in the past? Mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted to uh, share, if yes. you can still see my screen, yep. uh, a tweet here that shows how my forecast did when I tweeted on November 1st, 2020, what I thought the earnings were going to be for full year 2021, which is the yes. most recent full year we've got. Yes. Um, so if not for the 340 million worth of one-time payroll taxes on Elon's stock compensation, I would have been within $27 million for the full year at the non-gap earnings line. Which is uh, how much? I said is What's the full year? Close enough for me. So uh, what, what I had in my forecast was $8 billion worth of non-GAAP earnings. Whoa. And what Tesla actually reported was $7,640,000 because that, um, yeah. that unexpected payroll tax came through. So exactly. without that, uh, the rest of these variances would have all netted to almost zero. Nice. Uh, now, I got so, lucky uh, in yeah, 2021. Yeah. That's... That's plenty close uh, for a full year forecast. But the, the point here is Wall Street analysts in November of 2020 were not forecasting this. Their earnings uh, estimates were a lot lower than this. Yeah. And they're not doing the same kind of detailed forecast that I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, draw from that what conclusions you will. But I follow Tesla very closely. And uh, I update my model all the time with what I learn uh, following Tesla news and, right. you know, following huh. really informative uh, Twitter accounts, et cetera. This is brilliant. I just really appreciate you did this. So can we get to what's next? Can we do earnings forecasts? I think the big one. 
Should sure. we get right through that yeah, one? Let's bring back up the. the model. I want to know. I can't see names. these numbers. They're a little too small. Is there a way for you to? I can zoom in more. Or do you have the graphs? Yeah. So here's my income statement. Or or we can go back to the graphs. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. I've got that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these were these are the earnings we were talking about. Okay, so uh, what, ago. yeah, go ahead and just uh, I can't see them; they're a little small for me. So go ahead and just say what are the earnings that you're expecting for uh, the second half of this year, Q3, Q4, and then all of next year. Well, I guess I do have to bring this back up to do that then. So uh, the first way that I forecast the income statement is the way Tesla reports it. And I'll zoom in here so we can see these yeah. numbers better. People on their phones right now are saying, James, please, yep. please zoom in. Uh, tell me when I've zoomed in far enough. Oh, I think you need to keep going, buddy. <laughs> need to keep going. Okay. I think so. There you go. All That's right. better. That's enough. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, so I'm looking at a 4K 70-inch uh, ultra-high-def monitor here, so I can't tell how far in I need to zoom for stuff. So here's what I'm forecasting for Q3 and Q4 of uh, 2022, and you can see what I've got into next year. Uh, also, a lot of people who are doing high-level forecasting are not doing it by quarter and projecting out to what next year will be by quarter, right? Um, they're probably just they're doing the next quarter, and that's it. I see. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So that's one of the things that you can get uh, following me on Twitter and uh, reading through my forecast threads is what I'm expecting uh, in the near future. Yeah. And, and so these change. earnings, how do they compare so, to, I don't know, let's say the other uh, estimates that you've heard from other retail analysts and then the analysts in general, institutional? So, uh, th this is the income statement as Tesla will report it here. I have to scroll down farther to get to the number that Wall Street cares about, mm. uh, which is the non-gap earnings estimate. Yeah. So past some other stuff I need to forecast to get to it. There we go. Okay. That's yeah. So what I've done already is adjust for the three-for-one stock split that won't happen until next week. Okay. Yes. So for full year 2022, I'm forecasting $5.30 which pre three for one stock split would be $15.90. Wow. Right. But we're going to have to start getting used to um, the right. post split numbers because they're coming fast. Let's, let's keep uh, talking pre split because I think we're, none of us have adjusted quite yet. Um, and so how does that number compare to, let's say Gary Black and what he is estimating for his earnings forecast, which I think was around 12. Yeah, he's he's usually lower than I am, and he explains okay. that as me being too optimistic. And sometimes he's right, and sometimes my number has to come down. But as we just walked through, yeah. that forecast that I tweeted out, the, the last forecast that I sent before 2021 began was yeah. real close to what 2021 actuals were. Yes. Uh, so I'm not always pie-eyed pie and uh, too optimistic. In the case of 2023... I've already adjusted this for the three-for-one stock split to $11.72. That's a big wow. number for next That's year. 30 so, bucks. Yeah, 33. So I've been forecasting wow. 32 until recently. This has come up a little bit. One of the reasons for that is the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, the humorously named Inflation Reduction Spending Bill uh, that... Uh, uh, you know, hey, what's a little more deficit spending, right? 
At this That's point, what got us in trouble in the first time. Let's do it a little bit more. Uh, well, what's a few more trillion on the national <laughs> debt? Come on. Uh, so uh, Tesla will be one of the biggest beneficiaries yes. and winners as a result of that bill because yeah. it's not just a consumer EV tax credit. It is that, but it's a bunch of other stuff, too, that Tesla will benefit from. There's benefits in there if you produce solar panels. There's benefits in there if you buy and sell batteries wow. or battery packs. Um, there's benefits in there for people who make stationary storage for uh, sustainable energy uh, generation and uh, storage. So uh, there, there are tax savings uh, that Tesla can reduce their tax expense uh, as a result of that bill. So... Uh, now, there are limits on that, so don't go crazy thinking that Tesla's tax liability will be zero corporate income tax. That's not what I'm saying, but it will be probably only 75% of what it would have been wow. uh, without this bill. So that's significant savings. Those are billions of dollars that are going to flow to Tesla's bottom line as a result of that bill that wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, so that's part of what has increased my uh, earnings projection for next year. I forget where Gary is, but it's not over 30 bucks <laughs> for this sure. Is, this is pretty cool. 33, 15 uh, now and 33 next. And then, uh, but but you did say that a lot of your estimates included take rate for FSD. Uh, so currently, I think that number is 15% uh, of buyers of, of buy yeah. subscription. And what do you see that that's growing? Because that, that could be way off, right? That's the one that could be well, truly way off. It's not easy to get that information. Uh, what we have is stuff like what Troy Teslike does. I support him on Patreon uh, for providing really valuable information from his buyer survey. So he has Tesla buyers who fill out surveys that explain which options they bought, which is a very handy resource for somebody like me uh, to draw from. But uh, there, there is sampling bias built into it, uh, or reporting bias, I guess you would call it, which is that not everybody is going to uh, fill out Troy's survey when they buy a Tesla. Most people won't. And there may be differences between the kind of people who would fill out that survey versus right. those who wouldn't. So I use it as a directional guide, and it's very helpful for stuff like knowing uh, and sometimes we hear from from Elon and stuff like the uh, uh, China FSD take rate is very low. It's one or two percent, right? So when, when you're doing a forecast like mine, you really want to factor that in so that you can do a better job forecasting quarters where there's a big change in how many deliveries you're getting from vehicles produced in China, right? Uh, not not that every vehicle produced in China is sold in China. Uh, uh, hmm. Maybe half their production gets shipped to Europe still. Uh, well, it's beta's well, not available yeah. anywhere else other than um, the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. And so that's I mean, why would I buy it if beta is not available yet? So yeah, that makes sense. Um, but a lot more people in the U.S. were buying FSD beta than one or two percent even before FSD beta was available in America. So. Um, Chinese consumers are taking a wait-and-see approach to this technology. They're going to want to see it um, proven, it, it seems. 
uh, before that take rate increases a lot. But I do have it increasing over time uh, a, yeah. as it rolls out because that's cool technology. That's that's uh, that, that's a cool party trick to let your car be able to drive itself. And uh, that has value. And people around the world are going to see that uh, that value and sign up for it. Yeah. So 200 bucks a month or $12,000 per year. But that's a significant bottom line impact to the margin if you can get more take rate. And that's why I guess it's critical. It's so critical that what happens with the beta and how impressive are people impressed with it. And we don't even need to get to RoboTaxi, right? We just need to have it to be valuable enough for folks to want to spend that money. Uh, And so you're saying that you are seeing a huge uh, impact to the bottom line and to therefore the stock eventually significant. This is, this is significant. Just the FSD beta up to rate, 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 <laughs> take. Yeah. Take rate. So you've got, uh, you've got two uh, virtuous business dynamics uh, happening at the same time uh, okay. going forward, which are that the price of FSD is going to go up. And at the same time, a greater percentage of uh, people, uh, Tesla owners, are going to buy it. So the reason for that, one of the reasons for that, is that people who didn't buy FSD at the time they took delivery of their vehicle have the option to buy it as an over-the-air upgrade later. So many, many Tesla owners... are, are going to upgrade to FSD once they see it working so well yeah. that uh, they decide to pull the trigger and buy it. Uh, so it's not just um, um, related to how many new Teslas you sell. I do expect that uh, take rate to increase over time. More and more new Tesla buyers will buy it, but also more existing Tesla owners who didn't buy it when they bought yeah. their car uh, will get it over the air. Anecdotally, uh, I've got two brothers. We all have Teslas. My sister does not have a Tesla, and she may not buy one. She, she, they're very much uh, ingrained in BMW and Mercedes brand loyalty. And I'm the only one that bought the FSD beta. But the other two have been asking me quite regularly, you know, should they buy it? And my second brother, he is on the fence. He's about to buy it, and he sees that this is going to happen and he wants to lock in the $12,000 price. But my third brother, I just, yeah, yeah, I told, I told my third brother, they're not quite yet for him. I don't want him to be disappointed, you know, waiting another year, two years for something. But what I've been telling people is that, you know, let's assume that this FSD is going to take many, many more years than we're all expecting. Let's assume that it will be five years from now, or let's say even eight or 10 years from now. Let's say eight or 10 years. I'll give you that. But in about three to five years from now, people will start to see that it's going to happen. Like it's going to be clear. They're going to see the light at the tunnel. And at that point, the value of FSD will, will, will go up, even though it's not necessarily there yet. Robotaxi is not there yet. I don't know. If, you know what I mean? Like this, at this point, no, no one is yeah. assuming that FSD is going to even work. I think I'd say that only 10% of people are in that camp that think that it's going to happen. 90% is, yeah, it's making mistakes every single day. But in five years, almost probably 75% of people will go, this is going to happen now. I better lock it in, even though it's not available yet. So, 
Yeah, uh, I don't have any RoboTaxi network revenue or earnings built okay. into my model. Nice. But if that happens one day, that's just gravy on top of the earnings growth that you see here already. Okay. Um, so what what might happen with the FSD take rate is that it goes to 100% because the demand yeah. for Teslas yes. outstrips their ability to produce by so much that they can or, do it. Or safety. Like I, I think say, it's, hey, yeah. it's required that you have to buy FSD to get a Tesla then the take rate goes to 100%. Or yeah. if Tesla needs to take a significant fraction of production for the robo-taxi fleet, then those vehicles aren't available for sale at all, uh, which uh, further limits the amount of production available to sell to people. And at that point, it's even easier to say, well, yeah. you, you have Only to buy FSD or you can't get a Tesla. Uh, and, and as you uh, just alluded to, and I cut you off immediately, sorry, sorry, Herbert, uh, it's uh, it's kind of a safety imperative at some point when you say, hey, FSD is proven five times safer or 10 times safer than a human driver. It would be irresponsible of us to continue selling these as yeah. manually driven vehicles that are five times likelier to kill somebody than if they uh, run on FSD uh, uh, with with no steering wheel or whatever. I, I think it's even, even simpler than that, personally. So, for example, they just recently released the feature, right, where the seatbelt tensioning, tightening, and the, uh, the airbag deployment doing it earlier because of the unique ability of the Teslas to have vision, right? That's released. That's coming out. But, like, imagine if... You don't even have to buy. If you bought FSD, it has a feature that uh, it will prevent you from having a, an accident. You're never going to, you know, uh, run over or hit a tree uh, and it'll stop you safely. Just that safety feature alone, it becomes an imperative that everybody needs to buy this, um, even if you're not promising robo-taxi, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, the, the world is a messy, uh, dangerous place where accidents do happen. So uh, I don't want anybody to think the accident rate will ever get right. to zero for Teslas yeah. because stuff happens. And if somebody really wants to hit you with their car, there's only so much you can do to avoid that accident. <laughs> if, you're, if you're stopped at a traffic light waiting for it to turn green, somebody can hit you. Yeah. Uh, I've been in an accident like that before. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll never be zero, but uh, certainly FSD uh, has the potential to be safer than a human driver in the future. Elon's been telling us for years, and he has a team hard at work making it happen. Okay. So it's good to hear that your forecast um, is kind of like that. It feels like to me like an in-between ground, which is very realistic, right? There is this overly optimistic folks like me who, who say, oh, my God, can you believe when RoboTaxi comes in and Bot comes in and, you know, all these amazing things are being added. But and then there's people like Gary Black, who's very conservative. And he I think he does add in the uh, the FSD take rate, but he's very conservative about that, I think. Yeah. Um, and then there are people who the general analysts who don't even put any of that in there and assume it's going to be zero. Uh, and then, right. of course, they under count the even production which i don't understand why they do that when it's clear that we have you have, have proof from two factories and now you have two new factories and yet they seem to not 
just, you know, do a straight line of what it's going to happen. Um, they still yeah, have. they're not taking Tesla's word for it. Uh, they're they're going to take a wait and see approach, and after the earnings have happened, after the gross margins have been reported, then they'll think about maybe taking their their earnings forecast up and their price target up. Let's let's. Uh, I want to come back to that topic later. I want to okay. deep dive into the analyst, but let's continue on. So you've shown us vehicle vehicle production by make yeah. by. That's ridiculous. I don't even go through it. By bank, yeah. by quarter, by factory. I mean, it's, okay. You've shown us the earnings yeah. forecast and you told us that it's actually much higher than we've been hearing most folks, but yours is based on really detailed kind of all the line items added in there. Uh, we looked at gross margin, did we? And uh, cash? Uh, yeah, so you can find gross margin uh, here. And and tell us why gross margin is important. Um yeah, this is the size of your shovel. Uh, so well, nice, a nice got, way to put it. <laughs> so, yeah, come on. If, you, if you've got a hole that needs to be filled in, okay. you want uh, a big shovel because the job goes faster if you have a big shovel instead of a small shovel. Mm -hmm. So what you see with gross margin growth here is it's just the revenues minus the cost of sales. So what's cost of sales? These are the costs that are directly related to producing the stuff people are buying. Mm -hmm. So whatever uh, the people got for their money when they handed over all this revenue to Tesla, whatever the costs were that were directly associated with producing those uh, products uh, gets counted as cost of sales. So all the factory costs, all the raw materials a factory needs to buy, all the parts you get in from suppliers, all the labor run at that factory, whether it's hourly or salaried, that's uh, a cost of production. So you've got a gross margin percentage here, which is comparing those against each other. Yes. Saying, yes. hey, uh, how much is this cost of sale? Because these are just dollar amounts. Dollar amounts by themselves don't tell you very much. You want to make business metrics out of these mm -hmm. to get a better feel for how, how it's trending over time. And uh, the year started off really nicely with a gross margin at 29.1 and then dipped to 25. Mm -hmm. But we know what did this. Mm -hmm. Tesla's most profitable factory is in Shanghai, and it was shuttered for four weeks uh, for lockdowns and then running at very limited capacity, one shift per day, six days per week for a couple of weeks. So that's what brought down the gross margin percentage because more of the vehicles from Fremont were being sold as a percent of sales mix and a smaller percentage of the vehicles produced at Tesla's most profitable factory. Yeah. But then that's going to improve in Q3 and it's going to improve more in Q4 as uh um, mix improves. So you still got some costs here of inefficiencies from like Berlin and Austin that are weighing against your margins. Uh, but then by Q4, those should be above break-even volume and contributing gross margin dollars. Yep. So this number is going to continue going up over time. These are the numbers that I'm forecasting for next year. Let's look at the gross margin percentage. Um, so, you know, 29% yeah. in Q1. Uh, and then it, wasn't it even over at 32% the quarter before? Um, yeah. So uh, let's see. The prior uh, few quarters were like this. Now, this quarter was 
aided by a lot of regulatory credit sales. So if you want to look at a different metric for gross margin, I've got one here uh, that shows uh, automotive gross margin percent only. So these may go. have been the, the numbers the you were thinking of. It is, yeah. Uh, That's so the 32, one. 27, 30, 20, 32, 5. Okay. The one up top includes energy and services and other. Uh, this one is just the automotive uh, cash sales and lease sales. Yeah. And then this is the portion of that that owes to regulatory sure. credits. So if you back that out, this is Rob Maurer's favorite metric here, the automotive gross margin excluding yeah. regulatory credits. This is the first number he wants to so, see in Tesla reports earnings. So it's crazy already at 30% to consider that an automotive manufacturer can even achieve 30%. I thought I've seen that the other OEMs are at 12% or some number like yeah. that. But um, at 30%, and it looks like it's going to grow. And once Texas and Berlin are actually, well, the problem is by that point, they might be building new factories. And so, yeah. Well, uh, I don't expect any new factories to open in 2023, apart from uh, the one in Shanghai. Uh, I think that one might open by the end of the year. But um, yeah, these are going to improve over time because the price of FSD will rise, the take rate will rise, and Fremont will become less of the sales mix over time. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's the most expensive place to build cars. You don't want to build cars in California. That is a boneheaded, dumb move mm -hmm. that Tesla made uh, 15 years ago because mm -hmm. uh, they were just starting out a car company and they wanted to duplicate the T0. And they said, this is going to be easy. We'll open a, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll open a little car factory. That'll be fun. Uh, California labor laws uh, make it uh, difficult to make a lot of money uh, in a manufacturing business in California. But Tesla yeah. figured out how to do it. Like, maybe that's good that they had to figure out how to make money even in a California regulatory environment uh, producing cars. Because once you've done that, it is easy to make money <laughs> in China or in Texas or in uh, Berlin. Yeah. Uh, once you get past the red tape in Germany... Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a more profitable factory than uh, Fremont will. Well, it's amazing to see it go up to thirty. Is that am I reading that right? Thirty-seven percent. Yeah, thirty-seven and a half. That's that's, that's crazy, and that actually it's not crazy because it's based on your numbers. But thirty-seven well, percent. It, it can happen. It's a big number for sure. But uh, Tesla is increasingly becoming a manufacturer of hardware and software, just like right. Apple, right? Um, you can yeah. get really nutty um, gross margin advantages over your competition when you have premium pricing power and you can deliver value in the form of software. Yeah. So if you if you go buy one of those 12% margin Fords or uh, Chevys, you are not getting Tesla software no. in that vehicle. Nothing close to it, right? Have you ever tried to set the uh, navigation destination in a Toyota Prius? <laughs> I, I have. <laughs> it's, so yeah. I'm good with computers. I'm good with computers. And it took me a solid five minutes to even figure out how to, like, I couldn't yeah. believe the way that I had to do it was the only way to do it. Maybe there is some other way, but I couldn't figure out another way to do it. You, you have to type in. 
the street address <laughs> on the keyboard on this on the screen, right? It takes forever. Uh, in a Tesla, you just hit yeah. the right button on the steering wheel and you say, drive me to right. wherever you're going. And it brings it up on the screen and you tap it and off you go. If you have FSD beta like I do, uh, it'll it'll try its best to drive you there. As uh, Holmar's blog pointed out on Twitter last week, a Tesla with FSD beta is the only kind of car that can try to drive you wherever you're going. Yeah. If you get into that Waymo in San Francisco and you say, hey, let's go to Oakland, it'll say, eh, yeah. error. Yeah. Uh, that is not within my geofenced area. I cannot cross the Golden Gate Bridge uh, because that is not programmed into my computer. So uh, if you if you get into um, a Chandler, Arizona autonomous car, you better want to go someplace else in Chandler, Arizona, because that is sure. the only place that car can take you. <laughs> uh, Most people don't want to go somewhere in Chandler, Arizona, so that's a problem <laughs> for them. Yeah. Quick uh, detour here, uh, since you brought it up, but uh, insur insurance, have you priced in the ins uh, Tesla insurance? And then also, do you have some estimate of when you think that they might be able to move more to a subscription model? Because if software and additional services take up more price than the actual car itself, and then you can always lease it anyways, and then you add in insurance, and then you add in FSD, and then you add in maybe entertainment or something like that, you know, I mean, like this idea that they're going to switch to a subscription model. But yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so insurance is one of many things chucked into this services and other revenue group. Okay. So here's how much uh, revenue was reported in total. Now, this includes sales of used vehicles. Uh, this includes, of course, the service center's uh, repairs not under warranty are shown here. Uh, the Tesla store merchandise, whatever they sell on that store. <laughs> you really? Uh, You're crazy. Yeah, this is amazing. A bunch of other stuff is, is in this bucket because that's the only bucket left, right? So you've either yes. got cash sales to buyers, you've either got lease payments on people who are on, usually it's a three-year lease, or you've got energy generation and storage products. And if it's not any of these things, it's that. Yeah. It's services and other. So that's where the insurance is. It'll grow over time, uh, same as I expect the used car sales to grow over time, same as the repairs not under warranty are going to grow over time as the fleet ages. Uh, more of those vehicles are coming off warranty. My uh, 2018 Tesla Model 3 is going to come off warranty. Uh, for for you know some for for most of the uh, cars components in December of this year, so I better schedule my follow up appointment to get a checkup before that warranty coverage expires. Make sure it's tip top. Uh, you don't want to have uh, something go wrong with your car one month after your warranty expires. Yeah, that <laughs> uh, you could have brought it in for. But uh, yeah, that's where that is, and I, I got the costs here as well. Uh, Tesla was profitable on this line in Q2, and I expect them to continue uh, profitable uh, operation of services and other going forward, but not a huge moneymaker in my forecast anyway. I'd be happy to be wrong. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good to know. I mean, uh, insurance is one of those additional things we're all watching for, but it's going to be a slow growth. Um, curious to see when you think it will actually make a material impact but it looks like it's way beyond 2025. 
Well, you're not going to improve your gross margin percentage by adding the insurance business to it. Insurance yeah. is not a, a crazy lucrative business. Um, mm, mm. You're, you know, it, so sometimes people think I, I should go start my own grocery store or I should go start my own airline. And those are terrible ideas. Don't do that. Uh, if you're trying to think of a new business to go start, the the existing companies that have survived in those markets have razor thin profit margins, like they are barely getting by. And uh, the costs, the barriers to entry are very high to get into those fields. So you do not want to try to compete against the existing players in those fields because uh, it'll it, it, it's doubtful that your company will survive. All the same stuff yeah. that people told Elon Musk when he said he was going to start a car company yeah, and he was going to make electric cars. Yeah. They told him no. that was stupidity squared. Yeah, maybe the way to look at insurance is not that it's going to be a, a impact to the revenue and bottom line, but it's going to change significantly the value proposition of a Tesla and therefore increase yeah. the sales of Tesla. Um, yeah, assuming that Tesla does a really good job with it, and it sounds like they are already uh, with uh, premium pricing based on your driving uh, history, yeah. uh, that's something that other auto, uh, other insurance companies can't offer. So that's a differentiator uh, for Tesla, and they are the provider of the repair. Uh, so that gives yes. them an advantage over insurers who need to yes. provide a profit margin to whoever is repairing uh, vehicles that they insure. Yeah, so, I mean, most of yeah. us are paying two grand a year for insurance, and if you can cut that in half, uh, Metromile is one of the reasons I switched to that, but this is, you know, Tesla's going to be better than that. And so it's it's going to be very, very compelling. Yeah, uh, Tesla charges a lot more for components uh, that are replaced than their cost uh, for those parts. So um, there's, there's some uh, opportunity there to offer your own insurance at uh, better rates than regular insurance companies can compete with, yeah. but not, not an easy business uh, to get into. And every state has its own laws, which is why the rollout has been very slow for insurance. Um, that, that's one of the barriers to entry for getting into insurance is you have to hire an army of lawyers and accountants yeah. to figure out how to comply with each state's or each jurisdiction's laws that, that govern selling insurance. Okay, let's get to cash. Um, my favorite thing, cash. Well, uh, I can save you some time there. I don't forecast cash. So I forecast the income statement and not the balance sheet. But my expectation for cash going forward is that it's going to be piling up. Well, <laughs> let me show you what I do have. I do have something here that I can show you. So I, I do have this chart okay. on uh, on free cash flow. So yes. what uh, what is free cash flow? It's the total operating cash flows. Uh, which is the, the entire bar here. This is your total operating cash flows minus your capital spending. So these gray bars here are how much money Tesla spent on capital in each of these quarters. And I only have actuals here. There's no forecast because uh, this is not something I forecast. Uh, but the white bar underneath it is what's left over after paying for the capital. So out of this free cash flow, that's spending money that Tesla can go spend on whatever they want, right? So during this time period, yeah. uh, you know, from here through here, Tesla put up two big gigafactories and mm. paid down over $6 billion worth of long-term debt early 
and their cash balance didn't decline. So how did they do that? They funded it out of these white bars. That's how they spent this operating cash flow. Now that there is no more recourse debt to pay down, like it's it doesn't even round to 0.0 billion anymore. They've paid it down that far. Uh, they'll, they'll never be totally rid of all long-term debt because there's, you know, Again, accountants and lawyers who uh, determine that there there always has to be some, you know, revolving credit facilities or whatever. Um, the cash is going to start building up unless Tesla can find something else to spend it on. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, uh, huge factories still being built. Now, there is work going on in Austin. You can follow uh, 4K Podcast to get updates on that regularly. But uh, the... The capital spending shouldn't be a lot more than these uh, going forward in the near term. So maybe that money just piles up until Elon decides, all right, time to build some more gigafactories and uh, spend a lot more capital. Yeah, of course they will. But like you're showing here that they can do all of it. They can keep spending on as many gigafactories as they want, and yet they keep making so much cash that they, they can't spend it as fast as they're making it. So, Yeah, and, and I'll run you back to the P&L to show you. There is this yeah. line here called yeah. interest expense. Okay. Uh, and to, to back this up a little bit, uh, this number was higher <laughs> in the past, right? So back in 2020, these interest expense numbers were bigger because Tesla had long-term debt payments they were having to make that mm. were large. Mm -hmm. And going forward, you know, here, here's the most recent couple of numbers. I've got that decreasing further into the future. When you don't have to pay rent on money, mm. uh, you've got more money. I feel like Dave Ramsey saying stuff like that. But uh, don't, yeah, don't pay rent on money if you don't yeah. have to. If you can, If you can be your own bank, uh, that's more profitable for you than borrowing money and paying interest on it. But it's normal. Like, it's very, very normal in corporate America for Fortune 500 companies to have a lot of debt. Um, stockholders don't mind when you take out a lot of debt because the assumption is, okay, you're borrowing money at 3 or 4% to invest in projects. They're going to make 13 or 14% annual returns hey, there's 10 points worth of delta on that that's profit for me. So I want the company to borrow that money to invest in that project to make the extra profit. Because if they don't borrow the money, they won't have the money to do the project. So uh, it, yeah. most investors are fine with companies having a manageable amount of debt. But if you've ever looked at the automaker's Altman Z-score, which yeah. is a measure of financial strength, uh, you have seen that they are all below three, uh, which is the gray zone. A lot of them are below 1.8, which is the danger zone. That is the red zone. Tesla's at about 20. <laughs> like Tesla is so far from going bankrupt. That was the war cry from Tesla Q years ago. Was that Tesla was going to go bankrupt imminently. Like you can find tweets still that mm -hmm. haven't been deleted from the same haters who were on Twitter today saying that Tesla was going to go bankrupt right away. And uh, Tesla is one of the financially strongest companies in the world today, and that's only going to become more true as time goes by. And it's a joke that uh, Moody's and S&P have not upgraded Tesla to investment grade. Yeah. 
I love it, James. Thank you so much. Let's uh, let's see. We've got another twenty minutes here. Let me get right to this. I want to get your opinion on this. Let me share this um, stock price. I'm going to remove this. I think. Oh, sorry. It's taking me a little bit there. I'm trying to figure out how to share my. There it is. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So this is a table that I put together um, around June of this year. And I just noticed that it's, it's for fun, like you like you were saying. The, you know, we don't have to necessarily put a lot of stock, uh, <laughs> pun intended. Stock. Yeah. Yeah. On something like this, but um, so this is. I just took a look at the past history and and noticed that there's a pattern that it seems that the Tesla stock price is an almost always an all year low on the first half of the year, and the all year high is at the second half of the year, and it happened in 2019, happened in 2020, happened in 2021, and so then the question is, is it going to happen again in 2022? So I think this is the first time I'm showing you this, but you know, curious to see you know, what your thoughts are, if this is just voodoo, it just happens to be a unique, fun pattern, or is it because my explanation would be that, you know, here's a company that is basically getting its legs underneath it and building a factories, producing cars, like you said, in 2018, almost went bankrupt. But since then, after 2018, there's just, just simple math that you can see that every quarter they're increasing their earnings, cash, sales, everything's going up each quarter. And what I noticed is that, you know, Q1, Q2, they're starting to show that they're continuing to do that. And then Q3, Q4, people start catching up. Gary Black sent a tweet and said that this is a real uh, pattern. And he says the reason it makes a lot of sense is that in the second half of the year, the analysts start to look at 2023. So the analysts right now, and as the as the months go on, we'll start looking forward looking 2023. And when they estimate the earnings for 2023, then that's when they start to increase their estimates and so forth. So what's your thought when you see something like, like this? And what's your explanation? So many thoughts. So uh, first, yes, I remember seeing this when uh, it was on Twitter, because I think uh, Dr. Earl Banning, who you recently had on your show, interviewed uh, 28 delays later on Twitter, Earl from Puppy, commented that he didn't understand what was going on. And somebody yes. replied, replacing the rockets with dog emojis. That's me. That's me. Oh, you, you did. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he said, thanks. Makes perfect sense. Uh, so uh, I, I've heard about this dynamic before. Rob Maurer went into it in one of the episodes of Tesla Daily, which uh, if the viewers aren't listening to Tesla Daily, yeah. if you're big into Tesla stock, you should be watching yeah. Rob's daily uh, Tesla videos, uh, for sure. Uh, he went into the January through May versus June through December mm -hmm. uh, average stock price increases by year, going back mm -hmm. four or five years like this. Mm -hmm. And there was that pattern where not much happens or maybe there's uh, some, uh, so, some negative return January through May. And in the second half of the year, the stock really takes off. So 
I'll, I'll share my, my opinion with you uh, that when you see a pattern like that, uh, either it's going to keep happening in the future or it won't. That, that, that's, my, that's my take. Now, I know that's not helpful, but I'll explain why that's my take. It's because uh, the stock market has more uh, algorithm trading bots mm -hmm. working on it now than it ever has before. And mm -hmm. what they're doing is daily trading and arbitrage, but they're also looking at longer windows as well. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to find patterns to exploit mm -hmm. anything that's a trustworthy indicator of whether a stock will go up or down over any period of time. Those mm -hmm. bots are going to use, you know, machine learning, neural nets, whatever, to try and figure that out and remove it from the equation. Mm -hmm. So what you see with Tesla's daily stock price movements is random movement. It'll go up or it'll go down and there's just no predicting, uh, apart from breaking news that comes out that nobody expected, there's really no knowing on any given day whether the stock will go up or go down for that reason. Uh, it's because anything systemic has been removed from the system. So all that's left on the short term is randomness. So uh, take it back to a Benjamin Graham quote, uh, in, in the short term, the stock market is a voting machine and in the long term, it's the stock market machine. is a weighing machine. So what, what does that quote mean? It means the earnings will out. Over time, the earnings growth is what matters. The market should be forward-looking. It should not be backward-looking. Um, so that's my take on this. And if you want to put another explanation behind it, here's another one. Mm. Uh, I heard the one that you mentioned from Gary. He may also agree with this take that over the first half of the year, fund managers are looking for alpha. They're looking to beat the average market return. Mm. And by about May or June, they start to sweat if they're not keeping up with the market average return, right? So the ones who are winning uh, don't change their portfolio positions. And the ones who are losing versus the average market return do. They change up the game plan like you would if you were losing a football game at halftime, mm -hmm. right? They say, hey, my plan didn't work. So, mm -hmm. so far this year, either I'm going to give up on this strategy or I'm going to see it through to the end of the year if I believe in it. One popular strategy among those losing is to say, hey, where, where can I get a lot of bang for my buck? Mm -hmm. Well, let's try Tesla. Tesla sometimes runs up a lot over the second half of the year. So I'm going to shift my investments out of other things and into Tesla. And the more of them who do that, uh, the fewer shares there are available, the higher the stock price needs to go. It's just supply and demand. I love these. Very nice. Uh, but but having said that, this is for entertainment yeah. purposes only. And, Agreed. Uh, nobody Agreed. here is guaranteeing that Tesla will continue to rise in yeah. stock price over the second half of the year every year because that seems unlikely to be true every year going forward. Right. Okay. Uh, can I get you to take a guess at what you think the stock price will be by the end of this year? Are you able to give me some guess? And this is not, this is separate from all of your incredible analysis that are very based on actual facts and truth. This is just your guess. What's your expectation? Well, Warring economic. Uh, yeah. 
But when I did my three for one uh, stock split adjustment in my earnings model, I did see that at the end of Q4 2022, Stevenson indicator will pass 42069. Uh, so, which uh, is I'm, a thousand. Yeah, it's going to be an all time high, 1,300 or something like that, right? Yeah, so that would be, uh, you know, 12, uh, uh, 20 times three, 61-ish. Close to 1,300, yeah. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. So I would, uh, if you're going to put me on the spot for a year-end prediction, a New Year's Day, uh, Tesla stock price, stock market will be closed on New Year's Day uh, for the holiday. But uh, right around well, that I, time, uh, over 42069 is what I'll say, because that's entertaining to say on a video. It's fun. But uh, what I say is that it won't be on New Year's Day. It will be on January 4th, 5th, or 6th, because they're going to show the print on January 3rd for Q4 numbers. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, deliveries get reported on the 2nd, probably. So, uh yeah, people are going to be blown away, I think, just like they did last year. Remember in January when people were just amazed at the production numbers uh, that they keep putting out. And by then, I'm expecting Texas and Germany to be hopefully even beyond your estimates, hopefully, right? If they just keep overperforming. Yeah, my, my, my goal is never to estimate or to, to forecast something Tesla can't beat. I, I want there to be an equal chance that Tesla yeah. beats or misses what I'm forecasting if... Uh, if that's the case, then I've done my job as a, a forecaster. Well, let's uh, start. I wanted to ask you this question about your opinion about institutional analysts. What's the reason why they estimate the way they do? How do they compare to um, actuals? And and I was joking around with you earlier, and I was like, can you find me some sort of metric that whenever I see the average as institutional analyst estimate, I can just do a four times to that, and that's the actual? <laughs> Is there a pattern? Yeah. You know, there there's some good analysts out there for sure. Uh, if you go to tipranks.com, you can find uh, star ratings on the performance, the past performance from analysts, which is no guarantee of future results, but it does tell you uh, who has been uh, doing better at uh, uh, stock uh, recommendations, buy or sell over time. And some of them are pretty good. But it, the the favorite example I have is going back to, you know, 2018, 2019. The highest stock price estimates, the highest one-year uh, price targets in, you know, uh, mid-2019 were $500 for Tesla stock, pre-5-for-1 split. Mm-hmm. Uh, so $100 uh, post-split adjusted. And by the time... A year had passed. Uh, Tesla was over two thousand dollars, right? So four x the highest analyst expectation. Yeah. Now run ups like that don't happen every year. You're not going to get a four x on or, or, a, or an eight x or a ten x or whatever happened that year every year because math doesn't work that way. A lot of big numbers. The larger the market cap gets, the harder it is to keep multiplying it. Um, there, there's only so large fraction of the economy you can take uh, before you run out of room to grow your market cap. But Tesla is not close to that number right now. Uh, Tesla has room to run for a while, particularly if they can figure out that humanoid robot, which James Dalma sure thinks they've got the best chance of any company on Earth uh, to figure out with everything they know 
uh, or are learning about full self-driving is it's basically the same problem uh, solving for uh, real world AI is what you need to be a car on a road or to be a human walking around a physical environment. Um, I know I was going somewhere with this. So, oh, so those analysts and their expectations are, uh, are, are based on what they can present with a straight face. So the only people who went way out on a limb saying Tesla is going to grow by a huge number that I recall uh, are, were ARK. So ARK Invest, yep. uh, Kathy Wood, had a $4,000 price target on Tesla, yes. which if you do this, the split adjustment on it would get to eight hundred. We're above 800 now, right? And that was, yeah. I, I think that was a five-year target back in 2018. So Tesla got there and uh, and they were right on Tesla, but they were all by themselves. Like Ark Invest is not an analyst yeah. uh, that would be ranked on tip ranks. So what I said earlier was right about um, mm-hmm. the, the buy side retail analysts and their consensus. Nobody thought Tesla would go higher than 500 back then. And it blew past it by a, a huge margin. So, uh, yeah, w- when you talk to Gary about trying to get his earnings estimate up for the future, he says, hey, I have to convince these Wall Street analysts and they don't they don't want to budge from where they are. They want to ground their assumptions in what has already been demonstrated mm. and they don't want you to, to push their thinking outside of uh, that envelope. And for some analysts, he's right. Uh, I think others are, um, are are closer to where retail analysts are on Tesla, uh, believing the product roadmap and the economic benefits Tesla will uh, realize with uh with software and with pricing and with uh with global growth yeah yeah no thank you for that i mean you know that that's that so first of all in order for an analyst to be even close to accurate they need to understand the business they need to be able to really dig deep into the details and so you are like you said at the beginning, you are an analyst and you have spent the time and I was just blown away. I think most of us will be just so impressed with the detail that you looked at it on both the the detail level and the big picture. And you know the business so well because you're part of our community and you stay in touch. And yet you're not like me. You're not this, you know, starry eyed, <laughs> uh, you know, optimist you're kind of like still very much, uh, as much as you try to hold yourself to a realistic line, it still kind of still grows to this level of, uh, sounds a little bit like a little off, but it doesn't. It, well, I, I appreciate uh, b- bullish perspectives. I appreciate watching, you know, Warren Radlick <laughs> and Stephen Mark Ryan and uh, yeah. Bruce Burnsworth and a lot of other folks who have uh, really high expectations for what they think yeah. Tesla should be doing and how quickly uh, they can get there. And that's great. That, that, that's great to see those perspectives and incorporate them. Uh, you know, just like it's important to to see the other side of the trade. You know, I've um, I've been very open to uh, challenging the thinking of people who are selling Tesla short on Twitter over the years, mm-hmm. and um, some of them block me as a result of those interactions over mm-hmm. time. Um, 
I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of my uh, expectations uh, proven true, and uh, they, they can't always say the same uh, about theirs. So um, what, what you want to do is make sure you don't have blind spots. You don't want to find yourself mm -hmm. in an echo chamber uh, mm -hmm. like a lot of people uh, do who uh, block anybody with an opposing viewpoint. That's not what you want to do when you're investing your own money. You want to know uh, more information. Yeah. More information is better when uh, when your own money is at stake. That's my opinion. Yeah, you do it. Uh, probably one of the most, if close to the best, uh, kind of a approach to uh, always showing the bear's position and then showing their past tweets and then examining it and then explaining your position and debunking some of the false things. You do a, such a good job of that. I think I'd love it if you're open to it, invite you to our Cyber Bowls live stream that we do on Tuesdays. And I'd love to have you and uh, Brian uh, from My Tesla Weekend. The two of you do, do a fantastic job and we should talk about the bears because we're the bulls, and so we need to have bears. And I'm going to invite bears, but love to get your opinion on that. So thank yeah, you so Brian, much, James. Yeah. Really appreciate this. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, James has uh, produces these detailed reports. Uh, visit him on his YouTube channel, and his uh, Twitter handle is I cannot underscore enough. Uh, and uh, consider being a Patreon. Uh, this is where we got lucky today. This kind of level detail and the updates he shared with us just because I scheduled today's call the day after he released it. So otherwise, this is a reserve. Uh, really appreciate this, James. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. And like sure. I promised, uh, you didn't just get a little brighter today. I think we all got very bright. So thanks, everybody. Thank you, Herbert. <laughs>